from the Gettysburg and 91.1 WCBT Gettysburg. I'm Ben Ponce and this is On Target. I'm Gary Mangala and today on Target we will be discussing the new football coach and sustainability at Gettysburg College. Then we'll sit down with Alyssa K. Wheelie to talk about her internship at NASA and future plans. Stay with us. Let's get into it. It's the end of week three, my dear. Like, <laughs> it's the end of week three, my guy. How's that going? Well, it's over. I've already had an exam, which seems a little early. Yeah, I have two next week. Well, yeah, I had one on Friday, and it, it wasn't as bad as I was anticipating it to be. But, well, I guess we'll see. I haven't gotten a grade back yet. <laughs> Maybe it was worse. It didn't feel as bad as I anticipated <laughs> yeah, yeah. it being. But uh, yeah, no, this semester is cruising. Um, we are 25%. By the end of this week, we'll be 25% through, which, yeah, you can roll your eyes and say that I'm rushing things, but it's even more alarming for me. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you know, cognizant that my college career is now 90% over. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> any um, any more solidified plans in what you're going to do after graduation? Not really. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, one fifth of the way through the spring semester, which we now are, equates to exactly the 90% mark of my mm -hmm. eight semesters. That's it's, crazy. Yeah, no, it is something else. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> in any case... Uh, <laughs> time <some> keeps going. <laughs> time indeed keeps going. Mm -hmm. Uh, news. Yeah. We have a new football coach. Which is crazy. But yeah, we do. He's from UPenn. Yeah, not Penn State, as not Gray Penn originally State. thought. Yeah, I'm not obvious. I don't know if that's, like, obvious for people, but I'm not a sports person. And I was, like, editing the article or, like, reading over it before he posted it. And it kept saying Penn. And, you know, I was just like, why do we have a Penn State coach? Like, that seems really wild of a turnaround. He's like, no, it's UPenn. Which is still, like... They have a pretty good football program, yeah, I mean, compared a, to us. They are a football championship subdivision, or FCS school, formerly known as Division One AA, as in kind of the second tier, the mm -hmm. bottom tier of Division One. Of course, we are a Division Three football program. Uh, so in any case, yes, Maurice Mo Banks is... Mm is the new coach. He was previously the outside linebackers coach at the University of Pennsylvania, where he only was for one year. Before that, he coached at Georgetown, his alma mater, uh, for five or six years. And before that, he interestingly coached uh, internationally in Brazil and in Austria. His playing career uh, took him, I believe, to Austria after uh, he graduated college. So he's been around the block, uh, <laughs> or perhaps you could say around the globe, uh, playing and coaching football. Uh, and, and Mike Mattia, the AD athletic director said that he rose to the top of a talented pool of candidates. Not that you ever say, hey, you know, he, he was rose, the worst he rose the, to yeah. the middle of a pretty yeah. middling field of candidate. No, but there seems to be some genuine excitement yeah. uh, around his, around his coming to Gettysburg. Interestingly enough, uh, he is the, just the second African-American coach in Centennial Conference history, which dates back to 1983 or something mm -hmm. and includes uh, 10 or 12 schools that would fancy themselves as being fairly progressive places, I think. 
thinking about, say, Gettysburg and Dickinson mm-hmm. and Johns Hopkins, and and he's the first uh, coach from any kind of ethnic or other minority at, at Gettysburg, um, which, you know, is perhaps not that surprising considering uh, the coach who preceded him, Kevin Burke, was here two years, and then the coach before him, uh, Barry Streeter, was here for 38 years, yeah. which doesn't excuse not having a, you know, a, yeah. but... I guess when you have the same coach for 38 years. They don't suddenly turn black one day. Good observation. (laughs) But I think that's a really cool thing to have, especially because we do have like a lot of specifically black students on the football team. I think it will be really an interesting, I don't know how like. It may affect recruiting in a positive way. I think so too. And I think that maybe there's a. There's an opening in that for, you know, OME or um, Daryl Jones's like position within admissions, talking with like people of color, recruiting them and, you know, using that with the football team. Well, it's interesting because the football, the lack of diversity in coaching of football is not just a centennial conference problem. I mean, just this cycle in the NFL, um, there were no black coaches hired in. despite the fact that the offensive coordinator, which is the most typical stepping stone position to head coach of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, was a pretty is a pretty well-regarded coach, and he's black, and he was not hired to one of six or seven vacancies, which people are suggesting is evidence that there is a more systemic problem. And mm. the other thing in the NFL is there's this thing called the Rooney Rule, which is named after former Pittsburgh Steelers owner Art, Art Rooney, something Rooney, Mm -hmm. maybe Dan, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, But essentially it states that each, when you're hiring a head coach in the NFL, you must interview at least one minority candidate. Mm, Uh, I don't like that. Well, and people are saying that if it's not leading, there are only two black coaches out of 32 Mm -hmm. teams, I think, in the NFL right now. And so all of this is to say that it's not just at the Division Three ranks, but it's throughout the profession, but I guess good for Gettysburg finally, yeah. you know, pulling the trigger on <laughs> on making a hire uh, of someone who is, you know, a, a well-regarded Division One coach. So this is actually interesting. I can talk about something that I, that, like, I learned abroad, which is really, really cool. Well, not cool. It's actually, actually kind of terrible, but so. <laughs> nice lead in. Thank you. Um, so I'd, I interned at a theater, and they, like, put up a lot of, like, it was mostly new shows, and one of the shows that they put up was called Getting the Third Degree, and it was sponsored by this charity called Kick It Out, which was talking about kicking out the, which was, you know, um, racism within English football, so soccer. Um, Because apparently in England, um, like, they still have a really big problem. I mean, the play itself was about, like, the first black football player in England to, like, go to a certain game, like, championship thing, but whatever. Afterwards, they had a talk back, and they were talking about how um, rugby referees are mic'd in like games so you can hear what they say but footballer uh football referees aren't Mm -hmm. and because of that they say that there are like instances of like calls being like racist um but because they're not mic'd they're not being held accountable so it was like advocating for them to also be mic'd and it was just like a very specific thing and i think um i don't know i think for people that are like not really understanding of sports so me um you know you see like i grew up seeing like a lot of 
black people in football. And it was just like, yeah, black people play football. Like, black people play, like, sports. Like, that's, like, not a weird thing. But, like, thinking about it in that regard was so wild. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like, you know, people will make choices in that way. So I think it'll be really, really cool to have a, a black coach here. Also, just because I think, in general, um, we don't talk about the... Um, I mean, this is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but uh, you have been talking a little bit about, like, the lack of retention in the football team as it stands a lot lately in the Gettysburg office. And like you were saying, maybe it'll help with recruitment. And more than that, maybe it'll help with people staying. Like, I, I, I don't know maybe, like, what the experience is of, like, a black male on this campus, but I don't know if um, being on the football team is something that people have a positive uh, time with maybe Mo, as I guess he prefers to be called, will have something positive to add to that. Well, and you know, so, uh, Garrett Glazer, our sports editor, asked at the opening press conference about the retention issue because, to your to the point you just mentioned, in the last ten years, Gettysburg has not retained from freshman year to senior year, more than half of the football team. Now, that doesn't mean that those students have left the college. It yeah. means they have left the football yeah. team. Um, but so he, so Garrett asked kind of how he approaches that, and he answered that first it's about making sure that everyone understands that whether they're on the field or not, they mm -hmm. are making a contribution. And it, it seems that a lot of the people who aren't sticking around are the ones who don't play a lot. And you can understand yeah. why you know, a huge time commitment like being on a varsity team but never getting to play would not be so appealing to a senior mm -hmm. uh, or to, you Even know, a any, to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether he can build some team culture around mm -hmm. that issue. Um, certainly there's been some excitement from incoming recruits because one of the, um, one of the questions that, at least I had had wondered about when Kevin Burke, the previous coach, left kind of later than he left in December. When he was hired, he had been he was announced in December. So mm -hmm. the timeline was a little later, but was how it would affect recruiting to not have a to not know who your coach was going to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and some of the we, we've seen on our Twitter page some some activity from uh committed recruits who are expressing a lot of excitement about this. Not that they probably would say, wow, this coach sucks, but... I mean, maybe they would. I don't know. Hard if, to say. if the coach, like, so, I mean... Hard to know, but yeah. I guess where I'm going with this is it seems like there is some excitement around the football program in a way that having, you know, being in the marching band, I've been to all the football games, the home <laughs> games the last four years, there hasn't been yeah. a lot of excitement about no. the team or mm -hmm. about how they perform on the field. There's excitement just in kind of like a people enjoy a Saturday afternoon football game. Yeah. They enjoy the atmosphere of yeah. it. But there hasn't been a lot of hope that the team might actually win or something. And, and they've had back-to-back -back one and nine seasons, and that's tough for everyone involved. And, you know, truth be told, I you know, we have interviewed Kevin Burke, a former coach on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I got to know him a little bit. Uh, you know, working with the band, he he was a big supporter of the marching band, and he was a really a, a really great guy. Um, and I just feel sorry poorly for him that it didn't work out better than it did. He took this job two years ago, um, 
he was the heir apparent to Barry Streeter, who had been here for 38 years. He had played under Barry Streeter. He had coached under Barry Streeter. Mm -hmm. And so he was the heir apparent. They still did a big national search. He rose to the top of that field, and it just didn't work out. And, and you know, you just, you just feel poorly for for him that it didn't uh, well you say that he resigned did he take another job like well they announced it as sort of a parting of ways you make it sound like he was fired i get the sense and asked some questions uh of the athletic director yeah and the answer while they did not flat out say he was fired him strongly implied that he was they did not reject the premise of questions uh, about yeah. whether all coaches are evaluated on the team's on-field performance because they gave some glowing comments about everything except the on-field performance of the team. Interesting. And it was framed when they launched the search as looking for a coach to turn the program around. So, And the final part of that is that Kevin Burke, the day he was announced that he was let go, uh, tweeted... Uh, let me pull up the tweet here, but he tweeted um, that that uh, some days you wake up and the day goes exactly as you planned. Other days you wake up and everything seems to be spinning out of control. Whether yesterday was one of the worst or best days of your life, today is a new beginning. Start fresh with hope and joy in your heart. He has a Twitter account that has often been kind of filled with... <laughs> Sort of inspirational quotes or at Proverbs. least but that seems to suggest in tandem that with all the accumulating it. evidence that he was not it wasn't as if he decided to take another job and uh oh, wait i think date, i can make a, I, think, I don't think he has one i think i can make a football joke about this he didn't have his play, players uh conduct enough sacks so he got sacked Every part of that except the verb conduct enough sacks might be part of that. There weren't enough sacks on the field, so he got sacked off the field. Yeah. Does that work? Uh, yeah. I know. only recently learned what a sack was. I only recently learned how to play football, like, in general. I was I was taught how to play Madden. Ooh. Yeah, and that taught me how to play football. I didn't understand. So here's my here's a little gripe I have about football. This whole, like, first, second, third, and fourth down. I've talked to a lot of people about this. I think it's stupid. Because ordinal, ordinal numbers suggest that there's one of each, and there's not. You can have a third down and then go back up to a first down if you cross your, like, 10 yards that you need to cross, right? That's stupid. That makes no sense to anybody. And you've all just, like, been taught sense. from birth that that's how that works, and that makes no sense. I think it makes sense to most people. It, it didn't until, like, two weeks ago for me. And then on top of that, what? Okay. Okay, here's my thing. I don't think we're going to deconstruct all of the football rules on this podcast, but <laughs> carry on. <laughs> um, I also have a very big gripe with the fact that, um, so, like, if a quarterback or whoever's making the play makes a play and something goes wrong and you know that, like, say so if you have the ball, you're a receiver or whatever, and you know that if you pass the ball to somebody else, they could probably, like, do what they need to do and it would put you in a better shape. For some reason or another, you would get in trouble with your quarterback for, like, you know, making a call that wasn't yours to make, whereas in, like, basketball, that's what you do. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't think we're going to, and let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Sustainability. Sustainability. Yeah. I'm actually really excited about this. I wasn't sure how much of it. So 
as we probably have mentioned on every single like news segment so far, I was abroad last semester. Um, so I came back and I wasn't sure how much. Did uh, you know Gary was abroad last semester? Oh my God, Gary, did you go abroad? Um, but I didn't realize that all this like, so for those of you who don't go to Gettysburg, um, Bullet Hole, one of like the um, eateries on campus. I love that you just used the word eatery. <laughs> Thanks. Um, got like, a lot more uh, sustainable, a lot more reusable materials, like just like instead of um, using uh, plastic cups all the time, the ones that are like single use and you throw away, they have like, I don't think they're glass. I think they're still also plastic. They're reusable. Yeah, they're like plastic. the kind that you put in a washing they're machine. They're calling them tumblers, although I thought a tumbler was something Does else. Doesn't have a lid? I, I don't know, but yeah. So they we have those now, and then on top of that, a lot of our like plastic to go containers have moved to paper or like cardboardy, cardstocky type things. Right. Um, we've moved. So the straw thing, I'm really for. What we've done with straws. So my sophomore Ben's junior year, we had these paper straws. They were terrible. And they were terrible. Here's my I hate paper straws, and it's not because I hate sustainability. I'm saying that first and foremost is because paper straws don't work. Um, and it's not just for hot drinks, it's for cold drinks as well. I personally don't put ice in any of my drinks and I still would have like melted paper. I had friends who would bring like, they would use like three paper straws for one drink and that's insane. And then, um, apparently we went back to the plastic straws. We are back to the plastic straws. Um, no, we're back to the eco straws. Um, they're made of eco. They're green. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> they're made of corn plastic or something. Noun. They're made of corn they something. Are, they are made from recycled materials and they are compostable. And so I, yeah. we moved on back to plastic straws. But in addition, the college has started to uh, more locally source some ingredients Which such as great. rolls. Yeah. The rolls before were also just not... Right. They didn't taste good. I heard a lot of issues. By rolls, you also mean like just all the, like the burger the buns, products, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's apparently it's everything besides the like sub, like yeah. the 12 inch, because the place that they use now doesn't make those. But I remember people having a lot of issues both last semester and like last year that they're having like moldy bread. But I haven't heard anything this semester about that. Well, Martin's potato rolls are what we eat in Lancaster County. You know, oh, yeah. Us. Us hardy Lancastrians. Oh, I don't like uh, that. I don't like that at all. Lancastrians? Yeah. Lancastonies. Oh, no. That's even worse. That's worse. Uh, so in any Amish. case, some sustainability changes have been made. The other big sustainability yeah. announcement this week was that Bob Giuliano, the president, has convened, uh, reconvened, uh, a sustainability advisory committee that will be... Also SAC. Composed, yeah, uh, <laughs> of administrators uh, and faculty and some students, including uh, Nadine Snyder. I've also been told the president of Gecko will be appointed to it. I don't know if that's like a, whoever the president of Gecko is in a given semester will be on it, or if it's the current president of Gecko, who I assume it. is, I believe is Mackenzie Summers, but I'm it not yes. certain. In any case, there's some students on it. It's being co-chaired by Randy Wilson, faculty member from the Environmental Studies Department, and Pete North the director of auxiliary services, which is what oversees the mm -hmm. dining. Uh, the committee used to exist, was supposed to exist as part of the college's various action plans on climate issues and just kind of petered out at some point. Then last fall, we were told uh, that it would be reconstituted very shortly, 
We asked about it late in the semester. We're told in progress. <laughs> asked about it earlier this semester. We're told announcement coming. Uh, and then the announcement came. It, it seems to be, it'll be, whether this is an advisory committee that has enough teeth that recommendations it makes will be taken seriously, or whether this is an advisory committee for appearances sake remains to be seen. But I think it is a demonstrably worthwhile endeavor yeah. to have people focused mm -hmm. on sustainability. We reported last fall uh, on the college's various sustainability efforts, and the college has made appreciable progress in reducing carbon emissions, uh, as well as some other kind of benchmarks. But the critique is that nobody knows what's going on and that there's not a sustainability coordinator position or some person or department whose job it is to facilitate institutional efforts around sustainability. So mm. insofar as this committee at minimum can help campus better understand what's going on in the area of sustainability and provide a context through which members of the campus can share ideas or, you know, maybe do some constructive poking yeah. as needed. It seems like a worthwhile mm -hmm. endeavor. Of course, it remains to be seen. I, I, I made the comment the other day, not really joking, but that we are now kind of at the point where the college seems at least inclined where we institutionally, and I include students and, and everyone in this, yeah. it's not just the administration. Oh, I didn't like that face you just said there. I wish you guys could have seen that. Actually, no, I don't. This is not just the administration, there but we go. as a campus-wide community, I think we're at the point where we're ready to perform sustainability mm -hmm. as an institutional value. Yeah. That is an important step. Of course, the more important, the more important step is actually doing sustainability. Mm -hmm. And so some would argue that we have for a long time been interested, say, in performing diversity, diversity. and inclusion. <laughs> and there's there the college has made appreciable progress in increasing the diversity of the student body and of the faculty. I would say that campus climate data shows that there is more mixed opinion as to the success of efforts towards inclusion. Yes. Uh, but the numbers, diversity-wise, have increased. All of this is to say that there are certain issues that everyone kind of likes to speak about and appear supportive yeah. of. The more important part, obviously, is actually doing them. We're at the point on sustainability where everyone seems ready to speak about it as an important thing, and it remains to be seen whether doing it is something that's within our capacity yeah. to do. I think like the one cool thing is that we're finally in a place. I don't remember being in this place in high school, like where there's just certain things that aren't like, like culturally accepted in the same way. So for example, like, like drinking out of plastic water bottles, isn't like as normalized as it used to be. Like it's really, it's really normal now to uh, uh, have a reusable water bottle. And for the most part, people like say something if you're constantly, you know, drinking out of uh, plastic water bottles. I know that we have them at Bullet, but like I think that's just more like it needs to be there because you need to be able to get water. Um, more than that, like we have all those refill stations. Um, I feel like more than anything, no one like no one anymore sees a 
trash can next to a recycling bin and then chooses to throw paper in the trash. Like, I think we're there now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's cool. Also, like, I remember in student Senate, like, last year when Nadine, who's still also the uh, student Senate, like, sustainability chair. Nadine Snyder, yeah. Yeah, she would come in and she would talk about Mike Bishop, who runs Bullet, and she would say, yeah, like, Mike Bishop set up a meeting with me, like, we're meeting about this or that, and he listened, which was really, really cool to see because I think it'd be really easy for any administrator or any staff member or anybody, really, that's, an, like, a, an adult in a way that which students aren't really adults, which is a whole thing. But um, it was really cool that not only was he listening to what she had to say, but he's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, that's feasible. Like, I think it's feasible to say let's charge kids like five or ten cents if they need to take a plastic bag out of bullet because it will incentivize students not to take a plastic bag out of bullet. And I see very rarely do I see kids with bags anymore, like taking plastic bags out. I mean— Okay, for you and I, we tend to eat our dinner in the Gettysburg office, which happens to be, I want to say, like, a hundred yards from Bullet, maybe less. Mm-hmm. Do you take a bag anymore? No. What's the point? Like, there's no point. Like, if you can't balance a cardboard box that has some a burger and fries and a drink, like, what are you doing? Like, wh- you don't need a bag for that. Um, and obviously they're still there in case you need it. And I think that that's also the line that we're towing that's really great because there was like a period of time where everyone's like, everyone should be able to do sustainability in the same way. And now there's more of a realization of like, no, not everybody can do sustainability the same way. Like there's a period of time where we're like, let's just get rid of straws. Like conceptually, let's just get rid of straws. And everyone was like, well, some people need straws. Let's. Let's keep that in mind. It's kind of like the same thing with the diversity thing. Like you get this mosaic model where you start realizing that like this thing can work for this group of people, but not for this. And I think we're there within um, sustainability at Gettysburg where we're, you know, discussing things that can make everyone more sustainable, but also acknowledging the diversity in what is possible for people's living situations. Some people need straws, so they get metal straws and then it's happy again, Um, you know. And I think as long as we continue with the mentality that we're willing to listen to each other, whether that be through a staff member that's completely devoted to sustainability efforts or it's just everyone just having like discussions about it. And then the people that run um, the parts of campus that can help affect that change are willing to listen and do something about it. I think we're on a good path. All right. Jamie Yates, the college spokesperson, said I think we used this as the closing quote in that article last fall about mm-hmm. it, and I'm paraphrasing here, but ultimately the, the the upshot of the quote was sustainability is everyone's responsibility, and it takes everyone kind of marching in the same direction yeah. on that, and, and that she thinks, and, and there's some strong evidence to support the idea that the college is, is starting to move in that direction. There was, about 10 years ago, a pretty strong student movement that sparked initiatives like GECCO, the Mm -hmm. Gettysburg Environmental Concerns Organization, like the Farmhouse, Mm -hmm. uh, which at one point had a a pretty strong, and I think still does to some extent, a strong focus on sustainability. There were a lot of student-led efforts that kind of got a lot of this stuff started. There was this whole Green Gettysburg Initiative. And over the past five or six years, that does seem to have petered out. But in the last year or so, led by some some students, and I think there have been probably other touch points across campus, 
the, we seem to be reinvigorating uh, the efforts towards sustainability, and there seems to be a tone at the top from from the president that this is going to be an institutional value, as it probably sh should be all along, and maybe to some extent has been all along. We just haven't been as aware of it, mm -hmm. and it hasn't been as grassroots focused. Uh, so there's that. Yeah. So more to come on sustainability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, little tidbit, because uh, I think it's really cool on a college campus to do this. Um, if you have six-pack rings or any type of, like, the plastic rings that can con connect cans or bottles, uh, cut them up because they can hurt Choke animal a life. duck. They can choke a duck. Save the turtles, I guess. Um, and I think that, like, just talking about the environment is also going to be a really cool topic that we get to talk to Alyssa about coming up. Yeah. And so last thing, last week we discussed the uh, the president's office reorganization. Next week mm -hmm. we're hoping to sit down with uh, one of the promoted promoted folks, uh, mm -hmm. Darian Davenport. Uh, I just wanted to comment that last week we discussed this. So just in general, mm -hmm. we tend to form some thoughts in this dialogue yeah. as we're saying them, and so yeah. things don't always quite come out as elegantly as we <laughs> might have hoped. And so any suggestion during our conversation last week that any of the specific individuals involved in these promotions are not eminently qualified for what they're doing certainly was in error. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I am not sure whether there was that implication. I listened a second time, and I think there were some things that probably could have been taken in different ways. The point, the broader point, I think, that, that we were trying to get to is that there still is a not super diverse senior leadership team at Gettysburg College and that efforts towards building mm -hmm. that would be well directed. Yeah. On Target is not a scripted show. If that wasn't clear. Before, I don't know what else is. <laughs> yeah, I think this all has a little bit of an extemporaneous vibe to it. So. <laughs> There's that, hey, I used the word vibe correctly. Are you proud? Oh, yeah. I was teaching Ben uh, about vibe checks today. Um, for those of you who don't know what a vibe check is. Um, that would include me, so I'm going to listen now. Yeah, so vibe checking is basically, you know, everyone has, like, a vibe they give off. I guess, like, in an aura sort of way, but I don't, like. The I, word aura doesn't do it for you? The word aura doesn't. I don't believe in the whole, like, color glowing thing. I mean, I'm, I am I don't prescribe to it, I guess I should say. Um, but a vibe is like your emotions, your general state of being. So if I ask Ben for a vibe check on how this podcast is going, he might be like, vibe check, I think it's going really, really well. Or he might be like, vibe check, I want to go to bed. Um, and those are all, you know, um, valid responses because a vibe check is really just me weighing into your emotions. It's a way of us being empathetic towards each other in a really cool and rad and like 2020 kind of way. Yeah. Okay, well that <laughs> took a bit of a turn at the end that I wasn't quite expecting. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back with the Bullet Report <laughs> followed by our interview with Alyssa K. It's time for the bullet report. On February the 1st, the wrestling team lost to Resigns 35-14. The women's swimming team lost to Swarthmore 137-68. The men lost 108-97 at the same event. The women's basketball team defeated Swarthmore 78-62 on the 1st. The wrestling team defeated the United States Merchant Marine Academy 
was defeated by the United States Merchant Marine Academy, 40 to 13. The men's basketball team lost to number one Swarthmore in a nail biter, 74 to 70. On February the 5th, the women's swimming team defeated Dickinson, 140 to 64. The men won 136 68 at the same event. The women's basketball team defeated her sign, 68 59. The wrestling team lost to McDaniel, 37 9. The men's basketball team lost to her sign, 84 79. The men's swimming team lost to Franklin and Marshall, 147 112 on the 8th, while the women won 166 to 96 at the same event. The women's basketball team lost to Haverford, 54 51. The men's basketball team lost to Haverford 65-63, a couple of nail-biting losses to our neighboring liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia, which ended some winning streaks and now ends the bullet report. We'll be right back with Alyssa K. Wheeler. And we're pleased to be joined today by Alyssa Kaywilai, a senior at Gettysburg. Alyssa, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, of course. No problem. Happy to be here. So, Alyssa, you recently interned at NASA um, last summer, 2019. Before we get into that, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do on campus, what you're involved in? Oh, sure. So on campus, I have a lot of different positions, but like primarily right now, I'm working as a computer technician for GTEC, and I'm also a drone analyst intern for the Department of Environmental Studies. And I've also been a part of different multicultural groups because of my background personally. So I've been a part of like groups like OME and um, ASA, Asian uh, Alliance here at Gettysburg College, also like International Club and Gecko because I am an ES major. So I like to get involved and I like to meet a lot of new people here. Awesome. And did you get involved in GTEC? I know you were a uh, digital technology summer fellow and you worked with drones and flood zones. Is that how you got involved with GTEC? Right, pretty much. That's where I met Mark, who's like the supervisor of GTEC. Mm -hmm. And from there, I made that connection. And I, I'm always looking forward to building upon my technical skills. Mm -hmm. So with GTEC, I'm able to meet new people, but I'm also able to gain those technical and computer related skills that I really want. So what kind of research are you doing at GTEC now? Well, with GTEC, it's not necessarily research. It's more of like helping the student body and mm -hmm. the public. So like a lot of people come into us and they have like concerns about their technology or like their equipment not working. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we tackle the problems and we work it out. So it can be a little bit challenging at times, like especially the after lunch hour. Mm -hmm. But I'm not working the after lunch hour anymore. <laughs> But um, it's good because I feel like I'm always able to learn new things on the job. Cool, cool. And I know you spent last spring 2019 abroad in Samoa. Right. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Right. So I think exactly one year ago today was my eighth day abroad. Mm -hmm. And it was such a life-changing experience. So I went on the SIT Samoa program mm -hmm. and I looked at changes of climate change in Oceania. So my first week we had orientation in Honolulu in Hawaii. And then following that first week of orientation, we flew over to the island of Samoa. So it's a very small Pacific island. Not too many people know about it. A lot of people think of Somalia when I tell mm -hmm. them Samoa. But um, it's a very, very beautiful country. They have a lot of Pacific culture, a lot of that very open, heartwarming feel towards other people, even if you're not related by blood. So not only was I able to learn about the culture, but I was also able to work on my independent research projects abroad. What were you doing abroad? 
like studying? Oh, okay. Um, so other than studying the effects of climate change, we also study social action. Cool. But for my month-long research project, I look at I looked at um, technolog- technological advances of different types of. Oh, sorry. Um, I think it was the future of technology in Samoa mm-hmm. and how it can be used to mitigate changes from climate change. So I use like 3D CAD softwares and a little bit of programming, a lot of GIS mapping mm-hmm. to see what the island of Samoa can do in response to global warming and climate change using technology in the future. And what can they do? <laughs> uh, well, there are a couple of things they can do, but they're not immediate changes. So mm-hmm. using different types of architecture to rebuild cities and houses like in the capital in, called Apia mm-hmm. in Samoa, they can like elevate houses. They can also choose where they build their foundations better and they can also use um well like like in Samoa it's very hot it's very very hot it's very humid and it's going to get worse and worse every year every day so mm-hmm. when they build houses or any type of building you want the architecture to be very spacious and very open so like you know like large windows for ventilation to pass in and out of are a good idea too yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, like you interned at NASA, which is <laughs> wild. Um, how did you even like find that opportunity and what was the application process like? Oh, well, so for NASA, I knew that was a big, big goal for me. I never expected to get it. I just was very hopeful the whole time. So we have we have an alum here named Cole Rossiter, and he came over and he gave a talk about how he was a ES and physics double major, I think. Mm-hmm. And here, I came to the talk purely because I just wanted to hear him talk about his experience. I was like, oh, like, you know, it sounds like a cool person. Sounds like he had a really good experience. I just want to hear about it. But then after hearing about it, I felt like I was also able to do the same thing because he inspired me. And so I applied online and it's really as simple as that. I applied online. I worked on my application for roughly a month and a half and I heard back on April 1st so <laughs> I was a little bit uh, suspicious because I heard back on April 1st, yeah. you got the job at NASA. I was like, oh, cool. Is it a joke? Like, Yeah. <laughs> um, and what were you doing over there? I know you uh, were working with uh, GIS, the Geographical Information Systems, but what exactly were you doing for like anybody who's not <laughs> a good <laughs> science person? Okay. Um, I guess to put it in simple English, I was a software engineering intern mm-hmm. for a program that they have called EOSTIS. And it's this really, really long acronym that mm-hmm. stands for Earth Observing Systems and Information Systems. So that program, that department that I worked for, it works with the Earth Science Department at NASA Goddard in Greenbelt, Maryland. And I utilized different types of files from satellite imagery and NASA satellite data. And I organized it and I made sure it was widely available to the public. So that did involve some Python programming mm-hmm. It involved a little bit of database management a lot of background information of metadata and how to use it. And it was challenging. Like, I'm not going to lie. I came in very, very nervous for the internship, but very excited too. But the thing is, when you have such a big challenge, you have so much room and potential for growth. And that's really what you have to focus on because you can only gain from an experience that really moves you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Just a broader question. A lot of people think of NASA and they think of astronauts going to space. But talk about like the broader mission of what NASA is doing specifically as it relates to climate issues. Okay. So for NASA, NASA does a lot more than I thought because you're right. Like when people think of NASA, they think of like, oh, we're going to the moon. We're going to Mars. We found aliens type of thing. But NASA also focuses on the Earth sciences. And that's what I had a lot of exposure with. 
like NASA is always collecting data and analyzing how we've our conditions on this planet have changed from the past to the present and where we're headed to the future. Because as scary as it is, we do have to think about it. We do have to start planning and mitigating our different lifestyle choices and how we live because everything is changing. Global warming, climate change is a thing. And science is real. And I know some people are very reluctant to believe some aspects of it, but it's real. And it's something everyone should be informed of. And how did the work that, that you were doing contribute to, you said you were working on making some data available. What kind of, um, you're making things publicly accessible, but how can the public engage with what you were doing? Oh, okay. So the data I worked on is made publicly available on public URLs that people can reach. So you can be anyone. You could be a student. You could be a regular person. And if you log on to, like one of them is earthdata.nasa.gov. And there's also worldview.nasa.gov. And on those websites, you're able to download the satellite imagery and the satellite data and the files that I worked on and I corrected and I helped arrange and I made them available on this website. I made them available on the database. And I think that that's really a beautiful thing because you really don't need to be a top tier engineer or a scientist to access this really high tier information made by NASA because NASA is really for everyone and it's made to help and enhance the public, the, um, the access to education for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so now that you've, you know, you're, you've done this like body of work, both, um, abroad at NASA. I mean, you've done a couple of research projects here. Um, what is that going to mean? So you're about to graduate at the end of the semester, which <laughs> oh, is gosh. terrifying, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but what does that mean for your body of work applying to grad school, say? Okay. So, Originally, I firmly believed that I was going to grad school after college. And then after speaking to my professor, I learned that, oh, maybe I should work for a little bit and okay. make sure I have a full grasp of what I really want to study because well, grad school is a lot of money and mm -hmm. I want to make sure I invested in the right area of academics that I would want to pursue for the rest of my life. But um, after NASA, I was actually reached out by a military contractor who works for NASA called Raytheon. And I don't know if maybe like you're familiar or not, but mm -hmm. they, they're a military contractor and they work for NASA. So right now I'm interning for Raytheon and I'm continuing the NASA project I worked on over the summer for Raytheon for this contractor. And they've offered me a full-time position. Congrats. For, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for after school. So that's terrifying, but you know, I'm so excited about that. Uh, things are not exactly solidified yet because if I do get another offer, I would want to consider all of my offers. If I do end up going with a position with Raytheon, which is very, very like likely, I would continue to be a software engineering intern for this Earth Data Science Project for NASA, mm -hmm. working through Raytheon. But I'm, I'm also applying for like another NASA internship for the summertime. Mm -hmm. So if I get that, I would have to weigh in all my options as well. And I've also been applying directly to NASA, too, for full-time positions, so... That is also a challenge. It's also <laughs> very terrifying. But, I mean, you you have to shoot for the moon and the stars because you never know where you're going to land. And, like, people say the sky is the limit. But, like, you know, like, it's really not. Like, space. Like, people don't even know about space. Space is, is the limit. There is no limit, actually. Like It's a very NASA answer. <laughs> yeah, you just got like, to go limit. for it. Like, <laughs> it's an infinite universe of opportunity, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, w with this uh, uh, research with Raytheon, how has that 
shaped the way um, your research or your work has changed since since going from regular NASA to a military contractor? I definitely am more ambitious than I was before. I'm a lot more courageous with my work. And by that, I mean being a lot more open and a lot more inclusive towards computer programming because I started off here as a minor mm-hmm. at Gettysburg College and I ended up dropping the minor, which it just happened because of a couple of events. But I've, I have a background and a foundation in coding and programming. I've just never fully explored it, I would say. Mm-hmm. But through my internship with NASA and what I'm doing with Raytheon right now, I'm doing a lot of coding. I'm using a lot of Python. I'm using the command line, like no more GUIs, like where you click and drag your mouse. Mm-hmm. Like it's like real stuff. And it is very, not terrifying, but it's very, very challenging. It pushes me far, far beyond my comfort zone. But I feel like every day I'm, I'm getting a little bit better. I'm a little bit more proud of the work I'm able to bring to the table and bring to work. But like right now, it's a little bit of a juggle because I wake up every day at six o'clock in the morning. I telework for Raytheon on my NASA property laptop because mm-hmm. NASA gave me a laptop to use so I can work for them through Raytheon from school. But um, yeah, that's why I have to lock my room up really well. <laughs> but yeah, so it's challenging work, but I'm really happy. I'm really gracious to be a part of it. Absolutely. Now, uh, I guess moving back to Gettysburg for a second, um, I remember you did research in like the summer of 2018 mm-hmm. on floodplains and using drones and like 3D imagery to develop that. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about your research with that? Sure. So as an environmental studies major, and at the time I was also a computer science minor, I, I've always liked combining technology with nature. And I heard about things like Hansen, like the building Hansen for freshmen and how there was a very big mold problem there. And so I, I began to wonder, like, is that because of a flooding issue we have at Gettysburg? Because our terrain is very uneven. It's very hilly. And I was wondering if that had an effect with that. And then from there, my overall topic for the research of how flood patterns are affected by the terrain of all of Gettysburg mm-hmm. and like all of the towns surrounding Gettysburg came to be realized. And from there, I decided, oh, I want to learn how to use drone technology. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to use photogrammetry. I want to learn how to use CAD, which is computer-aided design software. And these were all things I've never used before in my life. And during the internship, nobody taught me how to use any of these things. It was purely self-taught with guidance from people like Eric Ramey from the IT department. But mainly it was me self-teaching myself how to fly a drone, how to pass the FAA test in order to be a certified pilot, which I am right now. And that was, it wasn't easy. It really wasn't easy. But I think all the hard work I put in really did pay off. So mm-hmm. I'm proud of that. Uh, and ha- how have, after that research, I remember the colleges in like talks with you about like publishing it just because it is so, I guess, relevant to Gettysburg. So mm-hmm. what happened with that? Oh, okay. So after my project, I worked with the department of, I think the department of public safety here mm-hmm. at Gettysburg and they used my 3d photogrammetry models to create um, plans for emergencies. Like if we had like, a horrible event on campus where would we go and everything so my models are still being used for that that's awesome oh thank you I mean at least as far as I know mm-hmm. and I went to a conference in November the mm-hmm. following year and I won the student speech and paper competition and I was invited to publish with that journal which is the Pennsylvania geographer 
Cool. Um, if I remember correctly, you were the only female in that uh, <laughs> uh, uh, year of that program. Yeah. Yes, I was right. I think the past year it was also like that with another girl. Yeah. And so it was it was only me. I was the only female. And then there were three other students who I know very well at this point. I, I work with all three of them at G Tech. They're mm -hmm. all very nice. And then what about when you're at NASA? Was it heavily male there, too? Uh so at NASA, it was heavily male of one demographic, which I was expecting, to be completely honest with you. I was expecting that. Mm. But there was a lot more diversity at NASA than I thought. Like, I saw, a, like, a lot of women, like, not as much. I would say NASA, NASA Goddard, where I worked, was maybe 43% female, maybe, like, 49, but definitely not half. Mm. And the diversity was a lot more than I thought it would be. But it was more male-dominated, and I feel like NASA does attract, like, a certain type of person. Like, you get, like, conversations that you normally wouldn't get, like, maybe at Gettysburg or back home. So mm -hmm. that was when I knew, like, oh, you know, I found my people. Like, wow, these people are great. They're so mm -hmm. cool. And they like to talk about, like, science with me at lunch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what's that been like, uh, you know, uh, being a woman in STEM and, like, taking that research to, you know, beyond just G-Tech, but then to uh, Samoa and then to NASA? I think it it's very unnerving when you first start because, like, for me personally, I'm a first-generation Thai-American student. My second language is English. My parents immigrated from Bangkok, Thailand. Mm. And, you know, like, I come from a background with, like, not a lot of money. So coming to a school like Gettysburg and pursuing yeah. a STEM major, which is not dominated by females, it— it is very, it, you know, it it's not easy. Like, it definitely is not easy. You face a lot more barriers than other people in a lot of different ways. But I think it's really your passion mm -hmm. that keeps you going. Because anyone who has the same amount of talent can stop whenever they want to. But it's the person who keeps going who makes it the farthest. And your limits have no bounds. So you just have to keep pushing yourself despite what you might hear or what people think about you, you just have to keep going for it. Mm -hmm. And now, like, not to make it political, but I think everything <laughs> in some ways is political. Um, with your research, both at Gettysburg and NASA, you know, you're working a lot with, like, climate change and just, like, talking about that. So in, like, your three and a half, four years at Gettysburg and, like, all this research you've done, what have you taken away in terms of um, what the environment's looking like and what climate change is looking like? One thing I was taught from my first week of declaring as an environmental science major is that this field of study is very depressing. <laughs> and it, we are increasing global temperatures at an exponentially rapid growing rate. But it doesn't mean that we can't change that. It just mm -hmm. means we have to find mitigation strategies. But 2020 hasn't been starting off the best, to be honest with you, with like the Australian wildfires, mm. which I'm also doing research on right now. So I'm very interested in that. A lot has been going on, drought, wildfires, flooding. It It is very depressing to think about sometimes, but it's really important to remain optimistic and to know that things can change. Things can change, but it, it all depends on how much people want it to change and how much action they're willing to take. Mm -hmm. But it starts with education. Speaking of, of education and action, earlier today, you probably saw the president of the college send out an email announcing a sustainability committee um, on the Gettysburg College campus. I'm just wondering whether any of the research that you've done on campus has informed 
ideas or suggestions for how the college might be more sustainable or, you know, could improve its sustainability practices? I, I don't think I've personally done research on specifically Gettysburg and sustainability, but as an environmental science major, I do know a lot of people in the department, like my friend Mac Mackenzie Salmers, she's president of Gecko, and she started, I think, like a recycled, recycling sustainability club. So there are a lot of movements going on for that and pushing for positive change in that direction. It we, we do need a little bit more work with that, I must admit, but I think things are getting better. Like we switched to paper straws for a while, and now we've switched to paper and cardboard containers at Bullet, which I think is a really big step. So I think things are getting better, but it takes a lot of time because a lot of people are reluctant to change. Mm -hmm. What's one thing that you think, like an individualized like approach, like rather than hoping that Bullet has made the changes that they have made, mm -hmm. what's like one thing that each individual student on campus can do to make an impact? Definitely think about what you're taking and how much you actually need it. Like, like, do you really need a straw when you go and get your morning coffee? Like, you don't. Or you can get a metal straw. Do you really need to take that plastic bag? Well, no. Like, if you have a reusable bag, you can just carry that one bag with you the whole time. You save money. You save time. It's just a change of lifestyle, starting with the smallest things. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to end it. So thank you, Alyssa. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Alyssa Kaylee for being our featured guest today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to On Target on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a reproduction of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a 2019 graduate of the Sutterman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. We'll sit down with Assistant Vice President of College Life and Executive Director of the Office of Multicultural Engagement, Darian Davenport. Until then, have a great week.